I, Brian Roten, Senior Reporter for Hotel News Now. I am here with Dana Kravitz, Managing Partner at Michaelman Robinson, and we're here to talk about uh, a case that's being heard by the Supreme Court dealing with uh, complaints against hoteliers through the Americans with Disabilities Act. This has been an area of law that's been long affecting hotel owners particularly with you know, physical accessibility for properties. Uh, we've seen in recent years that spread into the digital realm with website accessibility, things like that. But right now, the case before the Supreme Court, Dana, if you could just kind of give us a little bit of uh, an idea of what are the basics of this case? How did it get to the Supreme Court? And then we can go from there. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Brian. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, you know, I think as a as sort of a threshold matter, and if you sort of go back in history, so the, the ADA to begin with is, has only been around for, you know, 30 plus years, 33 years to be exact. So it's still relatively new in terms of a law. Um, and you can see that that there's a lot of influence that the law has relative to the hotel space. And if you if you harken back before we get into the actual case, if you if you harken back, you know, a decade or so, there was discussion about ADA relative to um, the accommodations um, physically on site. There were issues. There was a, a long uh, <laughs> battle associated with plaintiffs' lawyers who using Google Earth to to come down on hotels to see if their pools had the requisite lifts for disabled people to get into the pool. So this is you know, taking it into the digital realm and websites and whether or not those websites are providing the accurate information uh, relative to the hotel and how it accommodates those with disabilities, I think is something that's getting a lot of attention now, but it's been going on for a couple of decades now, certainly in the industry. Um, with respect to this case in particular, um, being up at the Supreme Court, there was a split at the circuit in terms of in terms of how this is viewed. These testers, you know, we're, we're dealing with people who have historically not been at the properties, um, no intention of staying at the properties and whether they would ultimately have standing to bring actions under the ADA. And this, you know, is not something that that you would only see in the hotel space. We used to see this a lot with um, auto dealerships, restaurants where people would be, you know, not necessarily this is about more, you know, wheelchair access, right? People coming physically to a property and and whether they can get up a ramp, whether they can get through a showroom at a at a auto dealership, whether they can get into a restaurant uh, bathroom, you know, in a wheelchair, um, and so this accessibility has been an issue that that you know is not only hotel centric, um, but because of the fact that you have so many people coming through a hotel, you can appreciate why the hotel industry in particular is is um, is looked at more frequently than others. And so, you know, the the idea that that someone who's not been at the hotel or someone who has no intention of staying at the hotel or no intention of booking through the hotel could actually have standing is is an interesting issue that the Supreme Court in theory could tackle. Now, the, the reality of the case is that there's there's a couple different ways that the Supreme Court could go. Um, and I'm not sure it's going to give anyone the satisfaction that they necessarily wanted when they first saw the case having been filed. And and I certainly can go into that if that would be helpful. Um, 
you know, I think that one, you've got a plaintiff um, where where she has said that she she doesn't want to bring the case, and so there's an out for the Supreme Court to say that the case is is moot. There's no reason for us to even have it, and I think. Clarence Thomas in, in hearing the our arguments had made the point of saying, if she doesn't want to bring the case, why are we even deciding this issue? Um, and if and if That's, it really went went that way, then this is going to be a lot of a lot of hoopla for nothing because they're not yeah, going to address it. I, I got to <laughs> imagine that there aren't too many cases that go forward where the plaintiff. Uh, Backs out. It, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you could see that, you know, Usually, if the case, usually if the plaintiff backs out, that ends the case. And and because plaintiffs are and the plaintiffs bar are motivated by money, a lot of times if they don't see money as the end of the rainbow, then maybe they wouldn't want to pursue it. But this this train has left the station, and there's a a belief that that the Supreme Court probably will not take the out of saying that it's moot, irrespective of her desire to have you know pursued the case or not. In which case, you know you'll get you'll get to go to the next step which is for the supreme court to decide the issue of of standing and there's you can appreciate on both sides how that's viewed from a ada disability advocacy standpoint from a plaintiff's bar standpoint from the plaintiffs themselves you know their their look at it is that they are that there's an injustice that when there is a website that is not speaking to their protected class irrespective of them staying at the hotel they should have standing. They've they've suffered um, in that regard, just from a, a humiliation standpoint, if you will. That that just by that's the stigma associated with them not being able to freely enjoy the website and get the information as anyone else would. And so, whether I want to stay there or not, I have standing to bring this action. Um, you get the flip side. You get the hotels who say. Okay, I understand the issue. We do our best to comply. If you feel like you've been wronged or harmed in some fashion as a prerequisite, shouldn't it be that you actually want to stay at our hotel and intended to? Because if you didn't, I'm not sure why why I'm listening. Now, if I have a guest um, who actually wants to book with us and wants to stay and is doing the inquiry and finds that we've somehow um, not been compliant or compliant enough with respect to the ADA, then the hotel industry, I think, would recognize that there's standing there. But that's where this sort of comes down for the Supreme Court, they've got to make a decision whether they could, whether they want to address standing in that regard. And and there is a belief that that the Supreme Court, as it's currently constructed, is is going to find that there is no standing and there's no actual harm because there was no intent to to actually stay at the hotel, in which case it kind of fizzles, right? The case, the case doesn't have the impact that it potentially could have, but it does beg the most obvious question, which is, OK, if the person had intended to stay there, um, whether or not they actually booked through, they're not really a tester, but would they have standing at that point? And I think arguably the question, the answer would be, yeah, yeah, yes, they would have standing to bring that claim. Now, you can you can kind of appreciate um, how the concern would be that if you had no intent of actually staying at the hotel, of what that would do in terms of potential floodgate of litigation of of claims where the criticism of the claims brought under this statute is that it's just a money grab. There's no real intent of of solving the problem that gave rise to the complaint to begin with. There's no remedy or remedial action that the hotel needs to take or is being even asked to take. But, you know, pay me some money and, and I'll go away. And, you know, having handled those cases 
there is an element to that, right? I do represent hotels and there's been a, it, it feels at times like a bit of a shakedown with the person having never been to the hotel with the, arguably the, um, the violation being relatively insignificant with our willingness to do a immediate remedial measure. And irrespective of that, it's like, no, pay me money as if that was going to solve the problem. And so there, you know, with a bit of cynicism, um, associated with that there these statutes do give rise to so at times baseless claims at the same time these statutes exist because it keeps the hotel and puts their feet to the fire to comply and so you know there's a balancing act there in terms of of whether you would be okay with someone who's not actually stayed there calling you out in theory one of the responses from from the plaintiff's bar is okay but the the, the solve is pretty easy fix the website this isn't even an expensive one. Go fix it. In which case, whether they stayed there or not, I'm getting what I want, which is um, a recognition that it's required, a fix, and I'll move on. So I can see both sides of it, irrespective of who I represent. Typically, I, I do see both sides of, of the equation. Now, I, I'm in California. Um, and just to not take it too far afield, outside of of ADA, but we deal with something here under the Private Attorney General's Act called PAGA, which is a statute under the Labor Code that effectively deputizes plaintiff's lawyers to go out there and bring actions against em employers for you know wage violations and penalize them for it. And we've seen here in California that that's sparked a ton, a ton of baseless claims because the statute is designed to give attorney's fees to the lawyer to find those claims on behalf of the state, allegedly, where the money would be split with the state on a 75-25% basis. But what it's really done is, is driven a lot of baseless claims against, against employers, and we've seen a ton of it in the hotel space from, from a wage and hour perspective. So, you know, to, to take that and what we've seen with respect to how PAGA is at times abused, um, and don't get me wrong, there are plenty of legitimate cases out there. I'm not suggesting there aren't, and, and there's remedies for that, and there's penalties associated with it. But for those claims that we've seen where they're relatively baseless, the statute has been used and abused in a way to garner quick settlements um, that feel like shakedowns. And, and I can see why there'd be a concern for a hotel, which is if the person had no intent of staying here, why am I being shaken down for money? If you wanted to stay here and we did it wrong, we get it well enough to do it. But if you didn't intend to stay here, why should we be subjected to it? And I think you could find pretty easily a Supreme Court, again, the way it's currently constructed, getting to that conclusion, which is there's no standing. Um, and then it leaves the issue to still be sort of a to be continued. Um, and a lot of times the cases go to the Supreme Court where they, they will focus on a more nuanced issue relative to something like mootness or standing, and it never gets the full um, picture of what was really potentially at stake um and so it's it's a it's a wait and see to a certain extent but sure i mean that case will that that decision will come down probably next year and and uh we'll see how it rolls so if the supreme court decides that you know we're not going to consider this case moot because of the the plaintiff deciding i don't i don't want to do this if they do decide that because the intent wasn't there, there is no standing. If intent becomes the the crucial thing here, how do you then prove intent to stay at a hotel? Because what's to say a plaintiff bringing a similar suit says, no, I fully intended to, 
to stay here. My bags are packed. I have, you know, I was looking up plane tickets. You can check my search history. What, what threshold is there then to prove intent to stay at a hotel? Yeah, I mean, that's a intent is always a particularly factual, intensive look, right? To to figure out what someone intended. As a as a plaintiff's lawyer, I think the burden to show intent is probably fairly low. If I'm simply per, if I if I am thinking about traveling, thinking about it, I'd like to go to Washington D.C. I'd always want to go to the nation's capital, and so I start just looking through websites and looking through different hotel options, not really understanding the the lay of the land of you know three star, four star, what have you. I just don't know. Well, then if I stumble upon a website, which, which I had never even heard of the, the brand, maybe, maybe I don't know, it's boutique, I don't even know, um, and they're not compliant, then maybe I didn't intend to stay at your hotel, but I've seen enough on their website that would make me move on from your hotel, then have I suffered the harm and have I got standing? I think a plaintiff's attorney could make the case that they're standing there, um, irrespective of staying there, not necessarily having the actual wrong upon them, not going through a booking process and finding that they stumbled through, just simply on plainly looking at the site saying, well, I'm moving on from that hotel. I don't feel like it caters to me. And, you know, I don't want to take the conversation too far afield, but but certainly with respect to race, those claims and standing has been legitimized. And if you if you are going to find that there is a a hotel that is not catered to your race and, and, and there's prejudice there and, and it's discriminatory, that's enough. So you question why in the disability context, it's not enough also because, you know, it's a protected class as race would be, too. And I think that. Look, the way the world works, things take time. And I, I will say, again, from the first comment I made, ADA, 33 years old, there's progress. There's progress there. There's definitely um, proprietors that are taking ownership of what they need to do within their hotel to accommodate. I think that there's, you know, much more attention to um, accessibility within rooms. Um, within the layout of a hotel generally. Um, I'm sure people want it to be quicker. It not a, isn't always, but I do believe that you've seen progress and attention. So there's there's hope there that it's that it's getting closer to where it should be. Um, but I would say generally speaking, in terms of the disabled in our country, there's more attention on this class than ever, which is good for our country to recognize it. You see it in sports, you see it in Paralympics, you see in a lot of emphasis now on being sensitive to what the makeup of our society is and, and hotels play a big part in, in getting with that program. And, and I think we've come a long way, but you know, clearly someone who is looking at your hotel and finds that you're not subscribing to that, I can see there being standing just by virtue of I, I would have considered staying there. I certainly was planning to travel, but I'm not going there, and that might be enough. Okay. Um, to a, an earlier point you made about, oh, it's a matter of having to change, you know, adding some kind of description of a physical aspect of the property or, uh, you know, a, a room type. 
is there any kind of you know what what are the odds you think of the Supreme Court having some ruling saying like yes as a you know a tester for this we rule that you have standing however for cases such as this the remedy isn't monetary it's the hotel is compelled to make the change to be in compliance yeah i mean i i understand the point you're making and it, and it's it you start to harken back to high school government class right and you start to look at the branches of government and who's supposed to do what and there's often times where you would hope that that commonsensically that could be the place the supreme court would go and then the response is that's congressional that's legislative that's the ada you want to amend the ada go back to the other branch of government and go do that in the same respect if i'm the supreme court and i think they're not going to do this but they simply could i read the ada i don't see the word tester in there and therefore i don't even know what we're talking about so until the law changes that brings something to us that actually references testers we're not even addressing the issue and it's a total punt i don't think it's going to happen that way but to your question about you know can remedies through the judicial system um, come about i think you're going to see instead the pushback would be maybe they tease that out as something to consider but then that rolls back into the legislative branch to consider the ada act and whether it's not you know fulsome enough and should be recognizing what remedies look like and that's why sometimes you'll see even an ada related you know on the state level at times you'll see you know ada but disability um, statutes on the books that talk about before you could even bring a lawsuit you have to send a letter out to you know the to the property you have to ask them to make this remedial change they then have to say no before you can even start to go to the place of bring a lawsuit and seeking monetary relief you have to put them on notice and give them an opportunity to cure the the deficiency that becomes something that you find codified and if it's statutory then it's it's legislative right so i'm with you in terms of you know trying to reform some of the law to get it to be more practical but you'll probably see it come out of another branch. Right. And I mean, to that point, then, I mean, when you look at the ADA, uh, you know, these cases being brought by the by the plaintiffs, that's because they're the ones who are out looking for these non-compliance issues, however major or minor they are. And so that's left up to civil action by individuals or or, you know, organizations that are specifically looking for this kind of thing that's not something that you know yeah i know there's not there's just, so like it, it it's left up to private individuals to to do this well and in the context of of race and sex discrimination mm-hmm. the, the department of justice has stepped up in the past and has taken upon the that entity to bring the actions you have not seen the Department of Justice do that in disability. And in the absence of that, which would be much more large scale and, and obviously getting a lot more you know, headline grabbing attention there, then yeah, you're, you're, there is a heavy reliance on the plaintiff's bar to serve a role of keeping companies and employers honest about compliance. And so again, as, as much as I'm an advocate, as much as I represent the employer, 
um, on, and on management side, I can appreciate that the plaintiff's bar and the plaintiffs who filed those lawsuits are providing the, the necessary impact to affect change, which should be required to be compliant with the law. So in the absence of, of the government doing it, and I'm telling you, I have not seen the Department of Justice take on disability, then yeah, you're going to rely on those plaintiffs' lawyers and the plaintiffs themselves to bring the cases. Um, it's just that tension associated with the legitimate case against the, you know, it's just a shakedown for a quick buck with no real intent of of even even solving the problem, which is moving on. And you know, we, there's a criticism among plaintiffs' lawyers that they're serial plaintiffs. I think even in this. This this plaintiff in the Supreme Court case, she filed over 600 cases. So clearly a tester, right? Not no intent of being there. Like this is not about someone just living in our society who feels wronged. It's someone who's seeking out wrongs and trying to affect change. Someone could look at that and say, and that's right. We need that. We need that kind of advocacy because, you know, the individual who is truly humiliated, who found that the hotel did not um comply may just slink off and not do anything about it they're not going to file a lawsuit they're not litigious they're not in it for that it's just i guess this is my lot in life well you could look at the plaintiff's bar and those plaintiffs who are bringing the action and say thank you because it keeps it keeps the companies honest as to what they needed to comply it's the abuse of it that that gets called into question often i mean that's that's always the case isn't it you, you you've got the the there are certain there countless honest ones who maybe they bring they like you said they bring a suit or maybe maybe they don't but then you have just as with any category of lawsuit someone who you know is looking for the monetary gain along i mean it it may bring about positive change regardless but so it's i think so and look in 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 the way the sort of life works when you have that abuse mm -hmm. it still causes an employer a hotel with new construction new website design to think and pause and say hey we have an opportunity to get it right so it is in the back of their mind that as baseless as the claims may be and if it may feel like a shakedown the plan is sort of unapologetically so what what it did is raise your consciousness and to the extent you're going to build again or redesign your website or do new construction, maybe you'll think twice about you know how you how you address the accommodations and and the accessibility issues. And I and I get that. I mean I understand that that's a way to to garner compliance and and simply hoping that someone does the right thing um, isn't enough. And so it's a little check um, coming from the plaintiff's bar that might you know further the greater good. I can see that. Well, uh, we're coming up on our time here, but uh, before we go, is there anything else uh, you know, regarding this case specifically or ADA compliance issues with hotels, you know, that that are related here that you wanted to share that we didn't cover? You know, I, I just caution everyone whether it relates to the Supreme Court. You rarely get a result where you think that solved all the issues, so it, it often raises more than it then it answers, um, raises more questions than it answers, and that's okay. Um, but I do I do believe in the, the prior point I made. I, I do think that raising the level of consciousness as it relates to this particular class of people um, 
is important and to the extent hotels have it on their radar and have an opportunity to do it right uh, and get it right, they will. And so I think everyone's rolling in the same direction. Um, this case will not end all issues, um, but it's certainly, I think, even sparking the conversation from the sake of uh, disabled people and, and their rights is a good thing. Dana, uh, once again, thank you very much for, for joining us today. I think uh, this will be really uh, useful for a lot of our listeners. All right, thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Hi, I'm Isaac Colazzo, Vice President of Analytics at STR. Hi, and I'm Jan Feitak, National Director for Hospitality Analytics for the CoStar Group. Tune in to our new show, Tell Me More, a hospitality data podcast. It's a podcast on the global hotel industry, its current trends, what we're thinking about, and where the industry's going. And we like to have fun with the data, too. Find us on hotelnewsnow.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe today. This interview was conducted on October 10th recorded and edited by Brian Rosen.